Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back A little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. This is Ellie, and I am here tonight with my co-host, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Elle. Oh, I thought you were gone for a second there. I thought, oh, maybe I'm not. Um, and our <laughs> other co-host, Jean, is out there live tweeting the show, and Catherine has a much-deserved night off, so we're sending them some sober love over the airways. And tonight we are so excited to have special guest Sherry Vandenacker, who is creator of the film My Name Was Betty, The Life and Death of an Alcoholic. Sherry, who is co-producer, director, and writer of the film, was raised in central Massachusetts. She now lives north of Boston. She's a graduate of Mount Holyoke College and the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where she earned her doctorate in English, and she is currently a professor at the Springfield College School of Human Resources in Boston. Sherry, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you. Oh, thanks. And if I could just correct that, it's the School of Human Services. So, oh, what did I say? Resources? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh we do services. look at people as resources, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies. Thank you yes. for School inviting me. I'm thrilled to services. be here. Very, very happy to have you. Um, we're also thrilled to have Sherry's sister, Kristen White, as our special guest as well. Hello, Kristen. Thank you for being on the show. Hi, Ellie. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Well, both Kristen and Sherry are featured in the film, and they're here with us tonight to talk about what it was like creating and producing this film and discuss their own journeys as it relates to their mother's alcoholism. And just a little bit about the film for those of you who haven't seen it, and if you haven't, we highly recommend that you do. Um, This film offers a shocking yet moving look at women's alcoholism. The film chronicles the progression of the disease in Betty Van Acker, Sorry, Vandenacker, a nurse, wife, and mother who died in September of 2007. Sherry, who is Betty's daughter, and Josh Hayes employ interviews, family photographs, medical records and graphics, and court documents to provide a personal and detailed look at the physical, emotional, and mental toll of alcoholism. The film also offers hope to those affected by the disease who seek to heal their pain and strained relationships. So I think we'd like to start out tonight talking um, about the film itself and how, Sherry, you got the idea to do the film and what it was like making it and and how this whole experience has impacted you. I I know that's a a big question, so do you just want to start kind of at the beginning and talk about kind of what was the genesis of the idea of making the film and what that experience was like? Yes, thank you. And it is something I could easily go on about for at least an hour, so I'll try to be a little concise (laughs) 
Um, when my mom died, um, when people see the film, they'll learn that her body wasn't discovered for quite some time and that she had been living in squalor, which people didn't really know. And so it was a really horrifying and shocking death. And although I had always expected the call that your mom died from alcoholism, it still hit me very deeply and profoundly, and it was still very tragic to me. So I needed a mechanism to really bring some kind of a meaning to this death that seemed so meaningless and so unnecessary, Mm -hmm. and I needed a way to work through it and process it. And I actually, um, as a professor at the School of Human Services, where I have so many students who are either in recovery or work with people with addictions and support them in their recovery, I really could see the educational aspect or component of the film. So as a way to really process and heal my own pain around the death and to try to bring meaning to it and pay some kind of a meaningful tribute to my mom and to really offer a gift to my students and my colleagues. Um, I decided to do something educational. Um, As an English professor, a film isn't the first thing that came to mind. It was going to be a presentation or something. And I really felt very clearly in my head, my my mom really, saying, you know, nope, it's got to be a movie. And that was kind of shocking (laughs) to me because my mom was so private, and I didn't really know how to do it. But... Every step of the way, whatever I needed and whoever I needed to make that dream come true really just entered into the process. So it was a very spiritual experience, really. Wow. Um, well, that it's it's so impactful to see all of the interviews. I mean, Sherry, you and both Kristen are interviewed extensively in the film, as well as many of the people who loved your mother and, and knew her best. Um can you? I'll, I'll start with Sherry, but I'd like to ask Kristen this too. Uh, you know, was it how how did it, how did it your view of the story of growing up with your mother's alcoholism and the story of your mother's life and even of her death? How did did it change for you as a as a as a result of making the film and doing the interviews and hearing more um, from the people who also loved her? As a result, I mean, it, how mm-hmm. did that affect your journey? It definitely did. Um, The film starts really with my mother's death, and it kind of works backwards. And it ends really with us reclaiming who she was before the disease really destroyed her. And that actually was my own journey in um, my healing process and in making the film as well. I went from the horror of her death to really starting through doing research about this disease that I thought I understood so well and learned I didn't, developing much greater compassion for her and understanding for her. And then uh, I felt after I interviewed one of her friends in particular, her friend from childhood, Martha, like I had actually been at a funeral for my mom in the way that funerals can be wonderful, where you get to know all these aspects of people that you didn't know before. And so I feel that I really move from tragedy and horror and anger to a place of much greater um, acceptance. I say forgiveness, but that word's not quite right because she had an illness. So what was there to really forgive exactly? But the forgiveness is almost right, but not quite but and of love and of admiration. And actually, I can now say I'm actually grateful that I was her daughter, and I could have said that at the beginning of the journey. Wow, that's powerful. I 
I think I, I, we're going to touch on the the fact that you um, address the sort of medical and psychological components of this disease later in the show. But I think describing the how the word forgiveness isn't quite right is it it resonates with me and I think a lot of people who struggle with alcoholism when you when you do learn that addiction is a disease it it helps at least from my personal perspective it helped me with some self forgiveness right and it gave me a little bit of hope towards being able to heal from the you know the symptoms of active addiction or behavioral in large mm-hmm. part obviously there's the the physical component too but Sometimes having an understanding of the disease component of it can can crack open a window of hope for people, and and, and it can lead to some measure of healing. So that certainly makes sense to me. And um, and Kristen, what about you? What was the what was the experience like for you? For me, it was very everything that my sister said. Absolutely. Um, and for me, I learned. I did learn a lot about mom that I didn't know. Before, um, I had been with her when she bottomed out and things got very difficult. And I think because of those experiences, I forgot a lot about the better times when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And doing the interviews and hearing people said about her, it was the conversations were filled with laughter and funny stories. Uh-huh and true love for this woman. And I had forgotten or not known a lot of these things about her. So Mm -hmm. for me, this gave me back my mom in a way that I I had lost my mom to um, Betty and her addiction throughout the years. And I felt like this really gave me the love and affection back for my Mm. mom. Can I say, too, that I think it really gave Chris and me our relationship back in a strong way, too, um, in that, you know, alcoholism, it's a very selfish disease, and it divides and conquers so that it can keep its power over the person who's addicted. And so there was physical distance between me and Chris because she had moved to Texas, and then she was able to move back to Massachusetts after Mom died. But I think that in... um, First of all, her generosity of spirit when I came to her and said, hey, uh, you know those squalor pictures? Can I make a movie and show them to, like, I don't know, a billion people? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. She said, yeah, okay. You know, it was, um, but her generosity of spirit in making it was just, I'm so grateful because I couldn't have made it if she said, no way. And it really, I think, gave us a lot of opportunities to talk about things. So. Well, I, I mean, I think it would be interesting to touch a little bit on the on the concept of, I mean, I guess for a lack of a better word, forgiveness or, or maybe compassion, and compassion. you know, the roller coaster arrive, ride that family members go on as a result of of a family member or a loved one who su- suffers from this disease. I mean, we know that um, it's not just the alcoholic or addict who is sick, but an entire family system gets sick around an alcoholic, and um, I think you know, it's it's a lot of of what you learned about this disease and and the and the um I don't know the impact it had on the way that you viewed your mother's life came as you know sort of posthumously for her and for you um but what was that like for the two of you in her active disease i mean i think I think there's gonna be a lot of people listening tonight who have loved ones who struggle or don't 
are, are struggling over the idea of understanding alcoholism and the powerlessness that people feel and sometimes the hopelessness that people feel when they have a loved one who's who's struggling. And maybe each of you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, I know there was a time that your mother did try to seek help for her addiction, and ultimately that was not successful. But maybe, Sherry, could you start by talking a little bit kind of about that roller coaster ride of emotions that, that lead up to sort of trying to come to some level of acceptance or... or um, you know, even before you get to the compassion or forgiveness part of it that came about as a result of the film. But talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the evolution of how you felt um, coming to terms with her disease. Um, it, You know, I think people often now say things to me like, um, you've forgiven. You've, you've just, that's such a role model for me, and I want to get to that place of forgiveness. And it almost feels a little unfair because, um, like like a compliment I don't quite deserve because mm. I was furious for 40 years, you know, yeah. really furious. And I was so angry at the disease, and I was so hurt. I was so sad. I felt I never really came to terms with the void I felt at not having a mom, and I always missed that. But I think for me I had uh, – there were two really seminal things while she was alive that happened – one was that I had an amazing therapist who um, asked me, how are, your, how are you your mother's daughter? And I resisted that question because I felt I had worked so hard not to be like my mom that I hadn't been able to claim the ways I was like her. And, boy, she pushed that question and pushed that question and pushed mm. that question. And I'm so grateful she did because then as soon as I was able to kind of um, identify with her again, that helped tremendously. And another was I have a colleague who is a drug and alcohol counselor, and he calls addiction slick. He gives it this name and this Hmm. entity. And that was so profoundly helpful because Um, At the end of her life, I hadn't seen her for a number of years, and she called when she was involved in the court system in the last months of her life. And when I saw how broken she was and how defeated and how close to death, I started to really understand that this disease had done far more to her than it had to us even. And that gave me compassion, but I really came to see my mother as almost like a victim of domestic violence in a way. I saw that huh. the patterns were so similar that, you know, Slick had promised her an escape from her stress and her pain and had shown her some good times, but it started to separate her from her loved ones and from her job, and it controlled her money and controlled her movement once she started losing her license and so forth. And it really beaten her up, and it, it 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 killed her. It put her in the grave, and we we kind of have this dark joke that we wish we could arrest Johnny Walker, but we can't, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and I so I think that that for me really helped. But I also, and this this is a very hard thing to say, but I really think it's easier for me to forgive her now that she's deceased than when she mm-hmm. was alive, because. Mm-hmm. The pain has stopped, and I feel that she is in her own spiritual healing process wherever she is out there, and that we have we actually have a relationship still that's in different dimensions than a relationship on Earth. I hope it doesn't sound too spooky, goofy, but no, um, no. it really feels no, that way, no. and I feel very, I kind of feel like spiritually she's the mother she always wanted to be. 
now. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's well, you know, Chris, interesting that you, um, this is Amanda, and it's interesting that you say that because in, when I um, first got sober, one of the um, tools I used in recovery, well, there's two things in, in what you just said. One was what you said about domestic violence is I had a, a very unhealthy um, first marriage, and when I got divorced, um, you know, um, I was given the advice that, you know, um, just remember why you're getting divorced now because, um, you know, it, you know, as time goes on, you'll only remember the good times. And you know, just just remember that, and and it was something, and and that's that's how it is when you quit drinking, and uh-huh. um, I and and I had to remind myself that, like as time goes on, it, when you quit drinking, you remember, oh, I used to have fun, and you forget, um, no, you didn't, you you know, in the end, you didn't, and so <laughs> not not at all, like no fun at all. It was, you know, you got arrested um, several times. You, it was not, that's not fun. And um, so it was, it's really interesting because I, I really, I mean, that's one of my first go-to things. It's like, you know, I, 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 it's, that is, um, it's like a physical, something that I can grab onto, and, and I love that concept of flick. That's, um, it's so, re, uh, I can totally relate. And, um, and also just, I, I understand very much what you're saying about your mom. My mom, um, I lost my mom to cancer. Um, shortly before I got sober, and I do feel like I have this different connection with her. So, and yeah. and you know, I feel, and for me, it's it's um, because it was pain, a different type of pain. But the the pain of losing my mom to cancer and going through that with her, I feel like you know she's free of it now. And so now I, I it's almost like um, because in the end, it was such a hard relationship. It was so hard to see her going through that, and it must have been really hard for you to see your mom. Because you know we're talking about two diseases here, um, mm-hmm. and you know so you know having them being free of that disease and it, it does you know give you a different connection. Um, so I just have to pipe in with that. I, I, so much I can relate to with the, your your whole film and your story and how beautifully um, you know you just honored your mom. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that I, this is Ellie again, that I wanted to touch on too is, is to talk a little bit about uh, about like boundaries and you know, Kristen, maybe we can start with you on on this question and and you know, the, for the uh, the question that we get all the time and we get lots of requests from pe- from loved ones of people struggling with addiction to do a show about loved ones and addiction and it's a very very hard topic to tackle and one of the reasons why when we saw your film. We were so excited to have you on because it's it's a uh, the way the film was done is it's done, you know, realistically and compassionately, but it's also you know there's some stark realities that that loved ones of alcoholics and addicts have to face. And you know, Kristen, what kind of, of boundaries did you have to put up in your own life to to keep yourself balanced and sane and safe as your mom was struggling with her disease? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I'm I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, when I was to, be, to 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 just back up a, a little tiny bit, as far as the roller coaster of living with her went, it was very difficult because she loved me and then she didn't and then she did and then she didn't, mm-hmm. and it was an eternal struggle for me to be doing exactly. I always trying to figure out what I need to do right now for her to love me right now, mm. and I felt that I was crazy because I. Mm. 
couldn't mm-hmm. figure this out, and other people had this as a given in their lives with their parents. And I didn't understand why I had so much trouble getting that from my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got a bit older, I had a great therapist. <laughs> <laughs> that helped. Mm-hmm. All you therapists and out there, we love you. We love you. <laughs> my excellent therapist is retired, but, um, you know, I... I had a daughter when I was still quite young. I was about 20. I was 20 when I had my daughter. And I sought help immediately because I lived in fear that I would make the same mistakes my mother did. Mm -hmm. And I vowed to my daughter that I would give her up for adoption when she was an infant. I said, I will give her up if I can't get things sorted out. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I didn't want to put her through what I'd been through. Mm -hmm. And as far as the boundaries go, that was... The first thing I was taught to do is I need to have a safe place for me, and it's okay to want your mom, and it's okay to have a relationship with her, but I have to set a boundary that when things are veering off into her addiction or um, not, not in a healthy way, when things are not going in a healthy way, to say, Mom, I love you. And I, th- this needs to stop now, and then enforce the boundary. Yeah. And having those boundaries was really the beginning of me um, healing and learning mm-hmm. to move on from the broken relationship that I had with her. You know, and Chris, you were much better at that than I was. I mean, you started with the boundaries, the healthy boundaries, you know, real like decades before I did. And, of course, moving 1,500 miles away probably didn't hurt too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah that can help. Still there. Nice buffer zone, yes. Yeah. You didn't have to worry about the holiday stuff. Uh, right. <laughs> Lord. But, yeah, you really did a great job with that, and I learned a lot from you about that. Um, and I do think it helped the relationship because, it did. There were there were times I said, "I'm sorry if you're going to be this way. I need to hang up the phone." Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time I felt that I had any power in the relationship and any power to protect myself. And when Mom was able to be, you know, when she was able to be good and she really wanted to be involved, there were times that she was fine with that, and it really did help the relationship move along. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that boundary issue is so interesting, too, because there, the idea of boundaries between children and parents, I think, is a really tough one in our culture anyway. And Very. the one question people who really do fe- believe me when we show the film and I say you can ask anything that will help you understand the disease better, the one question that people ask kind of reluctantly but bravely is, what could you have done differently to help? And to me, that's a real boundary question, too, because... Mm-hmm. There really wasn't, you know, there wasn't no. anything I could really do to help. And when I tried, I probably wasn't helping Slick out more than I was helping Betty, you know. I was buying Slick dinner. I wasn't buying Betty dinner. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the most confounding part of, you know, understanding boundaries and and you know, figuring out where that line is. And, Sherry, you mentioned that Kristen, you know, had a little more success with that earlier on than you. And I think some of the – sometimes, it, I mean, it sounds like kind of a backwards question to ask, but it can be enormously helpful for other people who are in the same position. I mean, what sorts of things don't work? I mean, I think the the irony of, of 
of this, the situation is that the things that feel intuitive and that feel right and that feel loving and compassion are helping slick and they're not helping the addict and there's so much that we can't do and there's so much that people couldn't do for me um and it might have helped it might have felt like help for to give me a place to live for example or give me money or you know support me no matter what my behavior but ultimately for me I couldn't get sober until I poked my head out of the gopher hole and there was very very few people left that would help me, and the only ones that were would help me were people like Amanda, people in recovery who said, "I'll help you if you help yourself," which means, you know, X, Y, and Z. And if you don't do that, everybody's gone. And that ended up being the most loving thing somebody could do for me, which was to completely abandon me as long as my behavior continued to be or my disease continued to be in control. So, Sherry, were there things that you would share with people who were listening that, you know, might have felt like the right thing to do at the time but ended up not working for you more over than for your mom? Yeah, you know, I think I didn't do all that much, really, because I was so – I didn't do much in the way of, like, buying groceries or giving her a place to live or things like that, which she didn't Mm -hmm. really need anyway. But I think I did, like Chris alluded to, always (laughs) try to figure out um, how do I not make mom mad. How do I get mom to come for Thanksgiving? How do I um, get mom to call me when she's sober? How do I? So, I think it was always trying to be what the other, what I thought the other person wanted me to be, and mm-hmm. instead of being who I am, and mm-hmm. it was really illuminating at one point. Um, my mother and I hadn't seen each other for a while, and she was in a good phase, and we saw each other, and I had been doing some things with school and all, and she said you know, you've become such an interesting person. You've really changed and grown. And I thought, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same person I always was. You couldn't see it. But I guess that in terms of how I was with her, I had changed and grown because I was me now instead of the person I thought mom or it turns out slick kind of wanted me to be in that moment. So um, I really do. It's a, such a cliche, but that whole saying about, hey, if you're on the airplane and the oxygen falls yes. and the masks mm-hmm. come down, you know, put one on yourself first, that I really did learn that if I wasn't healthy and whole, I couldn't help my kids, my husband, and certainly not my mother, of all people. That was the hardest one. To, I, have the, I had to be so healthy before I could figure out how to at least not do her harm, really. Yeah. It was hard. It is very, very hard. It's, it's the, and there's so much, I mean, so much like what you just described is is emotional boundaries. And those are the hardest of all to, to even identify, I think. Um, Because I think growing up around active addiction, it reprograms our brains. You know the sort of hypervigilance that you describe, and the right. you know the, yes. the you know the kind of space that people can rent in your head when you're constantly on alert to figure out where the opportunity is to get what it is that you need mm-hmm. um, from somebody that you love, and it's you know that's why it's so destructive to family systems, and um, certainly Maybe getting too. There's kind of an arrested development almost. It's like you know she, I kind of feel like where when she really got. Um, her addiction really became full fledged that she didn't couldn't you know that's not a conducive 
conducive to good mental health, is it, being in the middle of right. an addiction? So you don't really kind of grow and, and your relationships don't grow. And as a result, I think I didn't grow. I was, in, I guess, in a way, acting like I did when I was four, of, you know, Mommy, do you want me to make you some tea so you love me or something? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it was hard to be an emotional, emotionally mature grown-up um, when yeah. I was interacting with Flick so much. I love that nickname, Slick. That's I. I um, <laughs> described. I mean, so much about people who who have who struggle with alcohol or drugs. But when we're talking about alcoholism on this on this particular show, that you know, I, I've one of my favorite books is Drinking a Love Story by Caroline Knapp, and you know, she was a real pioneer who wrote her memoir about her story, and she describes or her alcoholism, and she describes it as a as a love, you know, a love story, a relationship that she had with a you know, a boyfriend that ultimately turned on her. And I can remember the first wedding that I went to sober and, you know, standing around watching these normal people with their normal half glasses of wine having sips and putting them down. And I felt like a jealous girlfriend is what I felt like. I mean, I sort of, like, it's like going to a wedding and seeing somebody dancing with your abusive ex-boyfriend. Like, you know he's bad for you, but you still want him anyway. (laughs) And watching, I mean, it it was a raw jealousy that I felt. And it was, um, you know, a lot of times, even in recovery, they talk to us about thinking about, you know, hating the disease or thinking about the disease and, and it, in, as a separate entity from who I am as a person. And, you know, as I progress into recovery, I mean, I have a disease voice and I have a recovery voice. And, the, you know, the one that wins, it's like that wolf analogy, is the one that I feed because they, they cohabitate. And I think that people who love, people who struggle sort of develop those kind of dual personalities to be able to be reactive in any situation because you never know which one you're going to get. And it's it's terribly confusing and confounding. Um, and I think another, for us, you oh, know, sorry, our survival really depended on figuring it out when we were kids, it felt absolutely. like, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to circle back to the actual film for a second because one of the more impactful, impactful aspects of the film, in our opinion, is the the dual message that it has of both your mother's story and your stories and her, you know, the interviews and, but all the information that is shared about alcohol and alcoholism, in particular as it affects a woman's body and, and mind. And um, you know, I, again, we're encouraging everybody to watch the film because I think that having both both the medical physical component as well as the emotional impact of the story is 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 really really striking because i think in in the, particularly in today's culture there's this sort of you know women feel very entitled about their drinking and the deserve a glass of wine and they're marketing wine just specifically to you know mommy's little helper and all this there's a whole different culture surrounding women and drinking now and it can be extremely destructive even for those of us who aren't full-blown alcoholics but um can you Sherry, we'll start with you can you talk a little bit about what you learned about the physical impact of this disease and how it affects women differently and and certainly as you saw that evolve in, in your mom right i'd love to and chris uh you have to ask her about the mommy's little helper thing from when she used to work for a delivery company oh boy deliver <laughs> diapers <laughs> diapers along with cases of wine she said oh, an alarming wow. number of times right oh, yeah i remember wow. that so 
Um, you know, the educational component of the film is, uh, I joke that that is what makes people give it either one star or five stars on Amazon. They either hate <laughs> that or they love it. Um, and so because the film is a bit of a hybrid, it is an educational film, but we hope not quite as dry as those uh you know, driving carefully films when you were in high school or something. But no, no, no. Um, it's also a documentary, so it's a bit of a hybrid. And I, it had to be there for me because, as I said before, I did conceive of it as an educational and curriculum piece, but also it had to be there because, to me, that information isn't dry. When I was doing the research and discovering you know, everybody knows, oh, the liver, the liver, the liver. But when I learned, no, the brain damage that happens, the heart damage that happens, the kidney damage that happens, the lung damage that happens, the nerve damage that happens, the damage mm -hmm. to the eyes, the damage to the ears, the damage to everything, I got really angry. And then when I learned that it happens to women after less exposure to alcohol than to men, I got even angrier because there's no reason – you know, it's not right that somebody should be a professor who has access to an academic library and academic journals for that information to come out. That should be taught in every health class. It should be in women's magazines. It mm -hmm. should be talked about by our doctors. It should not be hidden in a research library. And mm -hmm. it was, I am impassioned about getting that message out about the physical damage that it does systemically because I can't believe it, it feels like sexism to me that this yeah. information isn't known. So well, it's almost the Amanda, contrary. I was, <laughs> I was absolutely blown away when it said um, it, it, it can affect your menstrual um, cycle um, mm -hmm. because I had a situation um, when I was around 35, which is when it said it happened, and it was, you know, I had, <laughs> this is too much information, but I had heavy periods and uh, to the point, and like almost constant to the point that I had a procedure done to help me with that. Mm -hmm. And that was never a question, you know, like, no. you know, right. how much do you drink or anything like that, like, I and, and I'm I'm always blown away by I mean I have it in my medical charts that I'm an alcoholic you know it was just it was something I did to protect myself I I just want that information there I don't want to be prescribed the wrong thing and um, but I, I I'm informing the, the doctors and 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 I have great doctors um, but right. it's just not something that they're taught to ask or to look for and nope. I you know when when I the I was incredibly impressed with the medical information and how you portrayed it in the film where you wove it into your your mother's story and to her situation so it it didn't make it boring it made it it was like it 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 it, it uh you weren't sitting there in a documentary in health class you were it was educational but you were relating it you know you related it back to your mother in such a um it was just a powerful message and I was just amazed at some of the, the things and we've done shows on it so this is stuff you know we when we do a show on the medical effects we do research and some of it wasn't I mean most of it was you know are things that I have read but not I mean not to the extent of how um, detailed the information and how different it is for women 
like because you really narrowed in on that. That was just it was every woman needs to watch this film. Every whether they have I think I think every every not. general practitioner needs to watch it too. I mean, right. I I get as angry as Sherry described when I when because I excuse me, my my alcoholism really started to skyrocket in my mid thirties as well, like thirty three to thirty six. And I was going to doctors and very, very competent doctors and talking about numbness in my toes and a pain in my right side and you know, crippling anxiety and all these different, I mean, these are all symptoms of heavy drinking. And I was getting the early stages of neuropathy in my feet and my liver was fatty and swollen, which is why I was having the pain in my side. And not a single doctor asked me about my drinking in the kind in an effective way. I mean, all active alcoholics lie on the on the forms. <laughs> how many so every doctor yeah. first of all should be taking whatever anyone says and multiplying it by three, even for the non alcoholics. It's like, you know, we all lie. We shave off our pounds and our weight, we shave off the amount we drink and smoke and um but it's really pretty shocking that these gatekeepers of this of this you know, the potential for this disease are not they're just not informed um of the signs that they see a relatively articulate educated woman of a certain age and they just dismiss outright the possibility that she could be an alcoholic. Right. And, and um, so Amanda, you saw the film so you know this, <laughs> but my mother had those menstrual problems. She had a hysterectomy and she was younger when she had her hysterectomy than I was when I had my first baby. I mean, imagine. Wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had a, 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 something very similar, and and I had no idea, no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's it's crazy to me, <laughs> right? Well, that and also the hormonal impacts of the how alcohol affects hormonal impacts. We did a whole show about menopause and, and alcoholism, and you know, I'm menopausal now, and I you know I'm fully I I know that had a, a lot to do with you know, the state of mind I was in physically and mentally um, when I relapsed. And, and uh, you know, there's a direct correlation. There's a lot of women who aren't alcoholics at all until they become menopausal, and there's there's medical, physical links to all of these things that just are not explored. I mean, if anything, I think the media, all you hear about is that a couple glasses of red wine are good for your heart. I mean, that's what you hear. That's right. That's true. Because that's what we want to hear. <laughs> yep. yep. That's mm-hmm. what we lock on to. Yeah. Um. Kristen, can you tell us the diaper wine story briefly? I've got to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sherry pretty much covered it. But okay. It, All right. The, it, no more yes, complicated but it, it is interesting how many. There's subscription wine services, and there mm-hmm. are baby supply companies that both ship through the same carrier. And there was a lot of overlap between delivering um, to somebody their 50-pound box of baby supplies and their case of wine once a month. Wow. And and people would sign for it and say, oh, I'm glad you brought the baby wipes and mother's little helper at the same time. Yeah. So it it, it was something that a lot of moms did talk about. Well, the culture around that has, has definitely changed. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not saying that all the marketing is evil and, and destructive, but it, it certainly is something that, you know, I'm acutely aware of as somebody in recovery, how often I hear about the, the moms and women that I know that really are defiant about their drinking. It's more than just enjoyment at this point. Something that they, they're very vocal about. And, of course, you know, people who have been so touched, profoundly touched by this disease as the four of us sitting here are very, 
you know, our antenna are up. So it, it, that Chris really noticed that. And the thing I've been noticing is all the invitations to fundraisers that are wine tastings. Yeah. You know, there was one at a hospital. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, hello, is this a good idea? Yeah. No, this is not a good idea. <laughs> I should just hand out a cigarette with each glass of wine or something. Yeah, you know? that's a great idea. <laughs> well, I I keep switching gears, but there's so many different areas that we wanted to talk touch on, and I'm I'm curious to hear about some of the feedback that you've gotten about the film. I mean, as somebody in recovery, I'm I'm curious about if you've what you've heard, if you've heard anything from sort of the recovery community as it's kind of loosely defined, or what kind of feedback that you've gotten, maybe from medical professionals or other areas of interest. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how the film's been received and and what kind of response you've been getting? Uh, it you know it is this is Sherry. So it's been such a gift, is all I can say. I I feel almost selfish because people will write these imp- these beautiful emails to our email address, the Betty Film at Gmail, and they they tell their stories and they share their stories. And I really feel that people in recovery, whether from their own addiction or a loved one's addiction. There, I can't tell you how many beautiful souls have reached out to us and talked to us and told their stories. Even reading the Amazon reviews is just so powerful. And I wish there were a way that I could take all of them and give them to everybody else because it's. I think a lot of times we feel rather isolated. I mean, whose mom died of alcoholism and rotted for nine days? You know yeah. what? A lot of people. It's yeah. really amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> and it's it's been it it's been such a gift. Um, I was very fortunate. It was found by Rosie O'Donnell, and she invited me on the View. So it's I, I mean I'm a I'm an English teacher. So I just can't <laughs> believe the kind of um, generosity of spirit, the sharing of stories, and the positive reception that the film has gotten, and I think that that is a testament to how much this topic needs to be talked about and isn't talked about, and how much of a community we need. So you guys are doing this great work. Maybe I should send all the uh, send all the emails to you guys. You should, yeah. <laughs> we, we'd be You'll love happy them. to highlight that. Because yeah. you must be getting them, too, on the bubble hour. It's oh, we do. the same kind of phenomenon. Yep, we do. And it's it's all, I mean, I think it's, you know, our whole underlying mission has to do with the power of voice and story. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you could have done a documentary about women and drinking or women and alcoholism, but what really drives it home and makes it impactful is your mother's story. And, you know, the, and the beauty of being able to turn her legacy into something that's got uh, has the power to do good and give people hope, because what really can crack through the denial that people have that are struggling or people that love somebody who's struggling, is the power of me too. You know that there's there's right. great hope and healing and, and um, you know self compassion that can be found in that. And none of us can do this alone. Whether you're a loved one or the person who's who's struggling, it's such it's so isolating for everybody who is involved. And Kristen, I'm curious to ask you, I mean, the film was Sherry's idea, and it's wonderful that you were enthusiastic about helping her and things, but did you have any trepidation about, and Sherry, you could touch on this too if you like, <laughs> but about, you know, what's, what are people going to say? What's going to happen when this film's out there and now people know this whole aspect of my life that they may or may not have been, have before? Were you concerned about that? And, and what did you find, you know, what has been the response? And have you found any 
dissenters or anything. It, I mean, were your fears realized if you had any? I'm curious to see how that's all unfolded for you. Yeah, I'm curious, um, too. I am <laughs> so glad you asked this question. Um, okay. And this is a conversation that Sherry and I actually had in the past year for the first time. Um, when Sherry started doing the film, it was so clear that this was a calling to her. It was something she needed to do. It's something she was going to do. And it's something that she absolutely believed in. For myself, I did. She she was joking earlier, hey, can I put the squalor pictures in a movie and we're going to show them to the whole world? And I really did struggle um, quite a bit internally. I did not discuss it with Sherry at the time um, because I didn't want to dampen her enthusiasm mm-hmm. or, tr- or alter the trajectory of what she was doing. But shame. Mm-hmm. Shame is something that I had lived with for so long, as so many of us do. And the idea of people watching this film and seeing the squalor and seeing the story <laughs> and hearing the things that I had been through was terrifying to me. I told Sherry later I really felt mentally ill over the idea of people watching the film and there was a point where I didn't know if if I if I could handle it being made mm-hmm. and coming out but I decided that if I either was going to be involved in it and support her or I wasn't and to be involved and be supportive meant being willing to face the shame mm-hmm. because the shame is such a big a big obstacle that so many people won't overcome yeah. that I felt mm-hmm. it was important to put it out there and let other people see this is the ugly this does not define me as a person it does not lessen my value as a person life goes on I'm just a regular person you are too I mean there's a lot of us out here we can get through it mm-hmm. so like you can't see this but I'm kind of crying right now because I no. didn't I first of all, I feel like a really crappy sister because I was so in my own vision here that I didn't even know that it was hard. I'm like, yeah, it's hard. Okay, whatever. Everything's hard. It's hard to go teach a class. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I'm sorry for my insensitivity. And then when she did tell me this a while ago, she softened it. I mean, I'm really hearing it much stronger right now. And so thank you for that generous gift, Chris. I mean, what that's I I just don't even know what to say. It's so moving. Well, I'm curious though because I've been in the same position. I mean, I was sharing my own story and, and you know, and and mm-hmm. choosing to I ended up on national television in 2009, you know, talking to Oprah about my lifting up my laundry hamper and showing 7 million people where I used to hide my bottles of Chardonnay and you know, I was extremely ambivalent, and I understand the feeling mentally ill. And I, I mean, that, that's 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 how powerful an emotion shame is. I mean, we we talk about Brene Brown. I feel like all roads lead back to Brene Brown at some point, and the power of vulnerability. But um, you know, there's a real fear around those things, and and I think it does take a calling. It really takes a calling to be able to surmount that and the infectiousness of a calling because it can lead other people to come out of the darkness, you know, and none of us, I don't don't think any of us, or most of us, I should say, don't do it sort of skipping, you know, like, hey, look at all my dirty laundry. It's it's a very, very difficult thing to do. So once the film came out, Kristen, and, and, you know, that's, 
and you you know you push through the fear and and, and there it is and and all of its you know warts and all like were you surprised in any way about what you learned what the feedback that you got not just in terms of the film but in your own personal life i mean i don't mean to put words in your mouth cuz maybe this wasn't your experience but i was overwhelmed with the number of people who came to me personally and shared their own stories because i had been willing to share mine and I felt I, a sense of community as a result, but I don't mean to say that that was your experience. I'm curious to hear if you if what 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 this, excuse me what it was like for you. That was absolutely my experience. Um, mm-hmm. I had always before um, mom died, I had always felt comfortable discussing alcoholism and going to therapy and working through recovery with anybody who mentioned it, and I thought needed support. Um, but once the film was seen. Um, and people did talk to me about it. It felt very powerful, mm-hmm. and I was so glad I did it because it. There's no way you can tell people, well, let go of your shame and forgive yourself and move on, but don't look at my secret. Right. Don't look at my shame. You have to do mm-hmm. it. Um, and as far as my sister saying, she was unaware or or being selfish. Absolutely not. I never wanted to put doubt in her mind that this is what should be done because I understood that my fears were about me and not the overall message and that it it was important to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because yeah. I never felt any shame about it. You didn't. I didn't because I really felt like Boy, if if I, I don't know about if if I could have done what you do, Ellie. Though you know, I, my, telling my own shame that's different, right? <laughs> yeah. Do not ask me about head lice. So <laughs> I have to, you know. Um, but as far as um, the yeah, this goes. I just really felt like it was. I didn't even feel like it was my mother's shame. I felt like it was Slick's shame. And, yeah, I'll tell everybody about Slick's shame, you know. How much Mm -hmm. time do you have? So I never felt shame about it. It's funny. I think that's a big, powerful message in the the film. Sorry, Amanda, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's what I mean by a calling. I mean, that's coming from, like, your highest self. It's coming from someplace that is so driven by love and by mission and by, you know, the power of, of story. That's something bigger than any one individual, and that's the the impact that the film is having and is going to have on, on people out there. It doesn't surprise me, actually, Sherry, to hear you say that you didn't feel a lot of shame because I think that you could never have made the film if you did. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. And thank and God this, you did this is, I was just, this is, yeah, I know. This is Amanda. I was just gonna say, like, I, I just, I just wish we could do away with shame. It's, it's such a useless emotion that we all have about something. And I know it. it um, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Sherry. When I, when I got sober, I was like, hey, I'm sober. Everybody, did you get that? I'm sober. And, and <laughs> like, no shame. Um, and I never have felt shame about it. And I, there are so many people that I see struggling to get sober. Um, because of the shame, and you talk about that in the film, it's like one of the biggest barriers for women right. in particular. And it's just, it's, um, and what I have found, and I hope, you know, someone hears out there is um, just what Kristen said, like, you know, if you push through the shame and you just air it out, 
you'd be amazed how many people say, "Oh, me too. I've been there. I'm with you. I'm I I back you. I I get it." There's so many people that say, "Oh, you're awful." There that it just doesn't ha- it it's it just really it just doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. Mm-hmm. It's um I mean there's yet yeah, there there's some but you know but um I tend to think they're very narrow-minded people and that's I don't really need them in my life. So well and their um, their shame is driven by their own fear it's so much about them and really nothing to do with us anyway. Yeah, I mean that's the yeah. that's the freedom that we get from that. I think and and you know and it's not none of these are stories about shame. These are stories about overcoming and redemption and I mean, ultimately, your mom's passing was tragic, and and you know, there, but there are so many bright spots in her life story. I mean, and her life has so much value and so much meaning in her story. I mean, this is this is kind of like, oh, not to sound like I'm serving up platitudes here, but it is almost like a story of overcoming death. Because look what she's, look what her story is doing now, and. So the times when I feel the shame threatening to pull me down or make me feel small or, you know, tell me to shut up or, you know, I take it back. I didn't mean any of that. And especially as somebody who was in recovery out there kind of charging out in front of my white horse and saying everybody needs to recover, it's wonderful, and then relapsing and having to come back from that and say, yeah, oops, you know, all those things I said that I didn't do. You know, that was, talk about an exercise in shame. It what, You know, it wanted to keep me silent and small and alone and sick. And ultimately it was somebody who said to me, like, this, yours is not a story of shame, Ellie. It's a story of, of struggle. Everybody understands struggle. And it's a story of survival and overcoming. And, um, you know, we don't get to that place if we don't have some guts and if we're not willing to put a little skin in the game. It just doesn't. That's that's the whole. That's the key to the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. And that this film shows that in such a beautiful way. It's so powerful. Um, we are getting kind of close to the end of our hour, and I have a rather, you know, open-ended question to ask both of you. But um, we'll start with Kristen. You know, there so many people are going to be listening to this show who have a loved one who's currently struggling with addiction, and you know what. What would you say to them? What sort of advice would you give them in terms of what what you've experienced as part of this whole journey, not just the film, but your your life story, as it pertains to your mom's disease and and um, where it is that you have come to in your life with with loving somebody with alcoholism? What's what is what is the message that you would like to send to them? We've actually covered so much of it. It's but really just set your boundaries. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Love yourself. Love the person, and, and love your person who has the disease as much as you're able to while taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And know that their disease is not about you. Mm. Mm. That's so true. So true. That's well said. And Cherry, what about you? Do you have anything that you would add to that? Um, I, I echo that for sure. And the thing that I would add is that there were times that I felt so in pain and so dejected, so despondent, that I didn't believe that you can heal from this um, disease. But you can. You can heal. And not only can you heal, you can grow. You can You can become... Mm. Your life can become better as a result of confronting this disease and healing from it than it would have been if you had never had it. It can almost become your journey can become a gift 
and it's mm-hmm. hard to believe that when it's definitely not feeling like a gift, but <clears throat> it absolutely can be. So please don't give up hope, and please just just take the journey to heal because you will never regret it. That's so beautifully said. Oh, I have goosebumps. This is Kristen, and that's and that's what I would like to say to people who are addicts as well. With with our mom, we felt like one thing that kept her drinking was that she we felt that she never felt that she could forgive herself. Right. Yeah. And that we would never forgive her. And it's for anyone who is struggling with addiction. Do it anyway. Even if you're not sure how people are going to react to it, do it anyway. You're worth it. Mm. And I wish my mom had been able to take the risk of getting sober to see what would happen. Yeah. As as I get older, I'm very nostalgic for what could have been for the woman she was aside from the disease. Yeah. 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 That's a powerful message. I mean, we have most of our listeners, I would say, uh, are you know people that are either on very early recovery or people who are wondering about their own drinking or whether or not they have a problem. And there's so much hopelessness involved in being in that space. Um, and it's it's of such value to us and to our community and our audience to hear from both of you. Um, and we are so grateful for your honesty and for sharing the film and for sharing of yourselves on the show tonight because, um, Kristen, you really put your finger right on it. I think that that fear of what will happen and it's too late and there's no point, I mean, that voice, that's that's slick-talking. That is the addiction and that's mm-hmm. telling us that we don't, that there's no reason to stop because it's 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 broken beyond repair. And, you know, if you do your best and let go of the outcome, nothing is broken beyond repair. Whatever will unfold will unfold exactly the way that it's meant to be. And, um, the gift that we get back is ourselves. You know, we get ourselves back. And, Absolutely. you know, we can't give a gift to anybody else that we don't give to ourselves first. So that's a very, very powerful, powerful message. Well, before we close the show, we like to go around and ask each of our, both of our guests and, and uh, the co-host to give a parting thought, something that maybe a, a final takeaway that you're having from tonight's discussion, something you learned or would like to highlight or um, anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with, and um, I guess Kristen, we'll start with you again. I actually think I did that right before you asked me to. I think you might have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I yeah. will defer now. Okay. Well, yes, that's that works for me. It was beautifully said, Jerry. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I I I would have to say the same thing. I I think the open-ended response question there was my uh, parting thought. And just that, you know, thank you for this opportunity. It was just, I I just feel so much joy as a result of connecting and talking. So love all you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Now, Amanda, I'll put you on the hot seat. What about you? Well, um, Sherry and Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show tonight, and thank you for making this film. Um, I I told you earlier, I watched it three times this weekend, and I had tears in my eyes um, for many reasons, and it it was, um, you made this movie, you honored your mom so well, and it was made with such loving kindness, and... um, 
it was so informative um and just I, it it was just it was so kind and i i shared with you that my biological father died from alcoholism and it wasn't until i got into recovery that i had you know i understood and um and you i think you know for anyone who's struggled with a family member with addiction um this is was so helpful to them it was so helpful to me um and you know i'm in recovery myself um but it the film it was so helpful in so many ways and i really um i i i, I appreciate your you know your courage to make the film and i really really um i just can't thank you enough it was beautiful thank you and what a gift it was to make it and hear things like this over and over again from such beautiful people. So, yeah, let oh. your light shine, everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Well said, Amanda. And my parting thought is pretty simple when it's watch this movie if you haven't seen it. And I was thinking the whole time that we were talking that I was thinking two thoughts. One is that if I had been struggling and listened to um, watch this film and or listen to this show. It would have given me a lot of hope, and I thank you very, very much for that. It continues to Absolutely. give me hope today. And, um, you know, this is going to be a resource for us, for all the myriad of people who contact us who are struggling because somebody that they love is struggling, and, and um, we're very grateful to be able to refer them both to your film and now to this show as well. So thank you for that. And um, so we'll close the show, but first we'd like to say to learn more about the film, please visit their website at thebettyfilm.com, and that's T-H-E-B-E-T-T-E-F-I-L-M, Betty is spelled with an E and not a Y, dot com, thebettyfilm.com. You can follow them on Facebook at My Name Was Betty, The Life and Death of an Alcoholic. You can also order the film on Amazon.com. And I made a note here that the email for them is thebettyfilm at gmail.com if you'd like to contact them. And we'd also like to direct you to our parent organization, shiningstrong.org. Here you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and my blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions you may have. We thank all of you for listening to The Bubble Hour, and I hope you all have a great evening. And thank you again, Sherry and Kristen. I hope you have a wonderful night. Oh, and thank you. Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you. Likewise. (laughs) All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.